Hello and welcome to Really Good Appears. My name is Gary O'Brien and this is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat about and discuss all sorts of movies. So joining me today, once again, it's Mark Tully. And he's here to talk about the 2014 psychological drama Whiplash. So stick around, we hope you enjoy. Mr. Mark Tully, you're back. Hello. Well, how are you? Delighted to be back. Oh, love to, love to see you back. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, was very much looking forward to coming back, and especially about this movie. I know you were too. Ah, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's part of that. It's part of that just golden era of cinema that was the 2014 year, like of like the Oscars, where it had like this and Whiplash and a load of others. So like, oh, not Whiplash, sorry, uh, this and Birdman and a load of others as well. So it's just that that was a great year for cinema. So this one, uh definitely part of it so I was happy to happy to watch it again because I hadn't seen it since so this was great yeah I hadn't seen it in so long and I forgot how good it was um it's so so good um yeah like I like I simply I I, I can't stress to anyone who's who's, who's tuning into this but we'll 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 do a bit about you know what what it's about and, and why Mark picked it but like I definitely would recommend if you haven't seen it try and find it it's on youtube to rent for like 3.99 and uh, would definitely recommend it. it's really worth it um so maybe try and avoid the spoilers on this one and go watch it but um yeah definitely would say so this is the point where i'm gonna say mark why did you pick this great movie um it's just a movie that i think you just feel so tense throughout it you never want to take your eyes off the screen the main character played by jk simmons fletcher who's a teacher is such a character you will never forget He's yeah. so scary. He so, makes such an impact on you. Um, you know, character Miles Teller's plays as well, Andrew. He is also someone you just relate to. You, you can see where he's coming from, his obsession with music, wanting to be the very best. The movie's dark. It's, it's relentless in its pacing. It also probably has the best ending scene of any movie. Yeah, Definitely top five ever. It's ridiculous, his ending scene. It's opening scene sets the tone perfectly. It's just one of the movies where you do not want to take your eyes off it and when it's over you're sad it's over just because you had such a good time absolutely yeah like I, I hadn't seen it in like I said so it came out in 2014 so it's been 7 years since I last seen it and I, I remembered it was good but man like you say the tension it's unrelenting it's an hour and 40 something minutes and you're just I remember I, I, it's, I'd always I'd almost like if you can watch it in the cinema, watch it in the cinema. Obviously, no one can watch anything in the cinema these days. But, like, I just remember feeling glued to the chair because you just can't... You're literally grabbing onto it because of how tense it is as well. So, um, I guess, maybe for people that have decided to... Um, you know, they're still not decided to watch it yet. Is there any chance you can give us a, a quick synopsis of, of what this movie is about? Yeah, so, um, the story follows a character called Andrew, who's played by Miles Teller. And he goes to a very well-known music college... And his goal is basically become the greatest jazz jazz drummer of all time. Yeah. He wants to do anything he can to make it. And to, be, to become this in this college, I can't remember the name of the school, um, there is this... Schaefer. Schaefer, 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 Schaefer University. Um, there is the top band you want to be in is this basically music band who is run by J.K. Simmons' character, Fletcher. It's called the Studio Band. Yeah. And... Fletcher is the most terrifying person you can imagine. <laughs> he is relentless to push you to as hard as you can go. So it just follows this as he basically enters the band and he basically undergoes tre- basically abuse by Fletcher as Fletcher just tries to push him on as hard as he can go. 
and you see his struggle with this being pushed on, you see him break down and eventually leave the band for circumstances we get to later on and then it all comes to an end that he basically has to face Fletcher at the end of the movie again for a different reason. But effectively all the following is Miles Teller's character, um, Andrew's journey to becoming the best drummer he can become under the guidance of Fletcher. Yeah. And, and guidance is a, is even such a loaded word in that like, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't like uh, J.K. Simmons t- as a, as a, as a, as a music teacher for sure. Um, so yeah, if you haven't watched it, feck off, go watch it. It's a great film. But yeah, I guess, um, now that we can kind of get into spoilers, I kind of want to, I have a bit of like production stuff I kind of want to go into as well, because I think the behind the scenes is, is quite interesting with this movie as well. Um, like when you consider it's, uh, it's one of the lowest grossing movies ever to be nominated for, for an Academy Award for Best Picture. It, the, the budget was $3.3 million and it went on to make $49 million worldwide. So still, quite a profitable movie, but when you consider um, how good it is for how cheaply, I suppose $3.3 million is still a lot of money, but I suppose in Hollywood standards how cheaply it was made for, um, the, 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 the standard of it is great. Um, and then also another kind of cool thing about it was they couldn't get as 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 small as I said three point three million was um the director of this Damien Chazelle couldn't get funding um for it initially so he made it a short film as well he made it a short film initially with J K Simmons and another actor uh in the world of Andrew Neyman uh, and that went to Sundance I think it won an award and then eventually he got the funding and was able to like make this movie um so yeah like it's just it was shot in nineteen days it took from start to finish it was 10 weeks before it was done like it's crazy when you think of just how how like just the, the sheer excellence of this movie and you consider that it was done for so cheap and such a quick with such a quick turnaround as well it's it's just phenomenal like yeah like all the sets you can tell are just real world places it's actually one thing i noticed in the opening scene is when well, you first see him play the drums late at night and then you see him walk home through the city. And for some reason, that city scene feels like the most realistic city walk home. I don't know why it just clicked to me for some reason. I don't know if you remember the opening scene where he's walking home after. Yeah, yeah it just seems very gritty, very real life, very... I think it's just everything's in such a good shot, such well lit and stuff like that. Um, It's just weird, yeah. The movie just seems so... It does not seem cheap. The lighting, yes. the production value is so spot on. But there's not many characters in the film. There's not many places to go in the film. The film's mostly shot inside a studio. That's where probably 50% of the film takes place, just in this studio band where they basically rehearse music. Apart from a few other concert venues, that's basically the only place the movie's set. And I think it nearly adds to the claustrophobia that Fletcher's yeah, character brings cool. on. Yeah. That it's always low dark. It's always dark. Yeah. Very few scenes are always in this low-lit environment. Fletcher's always in your face. He always has a black t-shirt on, but his face is always very well lit. And also the fact he's bald adds to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Lex Luthor effect. It's literally Lex Luthor effect. <laughs> oh God, he would have been a great Lex Luthor. No, he would have. But like, well, actually, just to speak, like, just, since we're on J.K. Simmons a bit, like this literally was like the most out of left field thing and that like I didn't know J.K. Simmons from a lot of stuff I kind of knew mainly from the Spider-Man movies as J. Jonah Jameson uh, where he plays a kind of comedic part and he he's, he plays like a very um, you know uh, ill-tempered uh, like editor in that and he's shouting and screaming but it's all it's all fun and games kind of and then he's in this and it's just out like 
out of nowhere the, just the quality of this performance it's great like I have, I have a I have a thing down here where he won 47 awards for this role like it's insane how good he is in this yeah I honestly think you could do a full podcast just based on his performance in this movie it is ridiculous like for those for people who have not seen it the, the fear of God is brought into you by this man in this movie <laughs> yeah he is relentless so he effectively is this mentor who will do anything to put like he he claims to have good intentions he wants to basically push people beyond the limits which he does in his defense he does hmm. but his methods are completely wrong he drives people too far as we see throughout the movie we'll just get on later on but he will physically abuse people he will emotionally abuse people he's quite homophobic yeah yeah <laughs> um but I, I think it's also a character people can relate to because obviously not to this extent but I do think everyone... <laughs> I was going to say yeah oh, I love chucking a chair at people and well, I do think everyone in... the... <laughs> I do think everybody in their life does have somebody like this especially maybe like maybe I relate to her more so playing GA growing up and you always have a manager who just a or teacher or whoever it is just put tries to push you on that extra bit yeah uh, not to this extent no <laughs> I hope not um but yeah, it's great. It's just like, again, yeah, maybe we'll talk a bit about the plot in a sec, but just in the sense of like, just how the movie pretty much is just about an abusive relationship and how he is just, like you say, manipulating Andrew Naiman to an, an extraordinary extent. When you see how he just plays on his emotions from the first time they chat where he pretends to be his friend not the first time but when he's in the band and he has that you know lighthearted chat where he's like, I oh, don't worry about it. I'm here. I'm your friend and gathers all this personal information that he's able to use and like you know in sort of taunts later on it's just like everything there's so many small things he does and you're just like one you're just like how does Andrew not see it coming but like the sad reality is that a lot of people in those sort of relationships don't see it until it's too late sadly so it's just like it's a it's a it's a great performance but like the role itself is 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 so well written and I just it's it's like yeah speech is talking about it it's it's such a great performance yeah, he literally because he is literally like a mythical status in music in this school. Like, I say, like literally the fear of God. He is literally like a god of music in this school. That's how he is seen. Um, before Andrew joins the high high band and um, the studio band, as it's called, he's rehearsing with the lesser well-off band originally. And there's a shadow at the door. You can see through the tinted window, and you can see everybody looks up because they know it's the shadow of Fletcher. The whole yeah. band pays attention and they're thinking, oh, he might come in. He might choose us. Yeah. That's the, like, that is the level of the man. That's the level of respect he has in the community there. And all of a sudden he comes in and everybody's terrified. I, 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 and the teacher, like, I just when you speak about the, the respect of the community, like the teacher who's teaching the class literally steps aside and lets, and lets J.K. Simmons' Fletcher just take command of the room. And it's just like, and he's perfectly okay with it, which just, again, just solidifies that this guy is just like, when, when he comes into your class, you shut the fuck up and let him do his thing. Yeah. And the insults he gives out to people are fantastic, I must say. So when he first goes into this, say, call it B-band, um, yeah. and he basically wants to find out who might be worthy of coming into his studio band, even though he already knows who he wants, I feel, because he sees Andrew play the night before. Yeah. He goes through the front row and asks various different musicians musicians to play a certain note or a certain piece of equipment and every single one of them he just insults straight to their face. Yeah. I think it's the lead um, celloist. It's, she's some girl and he also says, so are you just pretty to be there? Are you good? 
plays a note. Yeah, just thought so. Moves on ruthlessly. Yeah, like, but that's one thing I did notice about this movie where it was just like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what the jazz scene is like in America, but there's, there's feck all women in this movie. Um, there's literally a bit in the scene at the end with the band, there's like one woman in it. And we were, we were like, ah, oh, there's one, there's one. Like, it, it's like, it, it's very, I don't know, but like, uh, this was another thing we were talking about. Um, just the, the idea of like, of like women in Fletcher's band is he just sexist or are women less susceptible to like hearing his abuse and being like I'm not good enough I'm leaving because you know there's that thing where um like women are less likely to go for promotions and stuff like that so uh whereas men uh, that they feel like they're not qualified for or something there's some study on that I'm probably getting it wrong but in the sense of like would women take Fletcher's insults more to heart and therefore leave the band because there's no women in his band or is it like a more of a sexist thing which I thought was an interesting element to it because um, like when we see that there's like all of the, the studio band even when the people even when they get in the band um, they're still like all of them are abused so they're just like why are they there because they want to be the best it's, it's a it's a strange one yeah definitely I never thought of it that way um, but yeah about abusing the whole band all the time like Originally, when he starts basically being so rough on Andrew, you're like, oh, this is obviously, you're going to be rough on him for a week or two, see if he's good enough. And then yeah. after that, it's plain sailing. But it's not. Like, he is ruthless to everybody in that band. There is mm-hmm. not one bit of ease with him. And there's one bit that he, when he's basically playing his first song in practice, somebody's out of tune. And this is one of the opening scenes that it's, basically, it's the first time you see him conduct but as soon as he comes into the room, it's like it's, it's like a military walk, a military leader walks in. Everybody's standing up, on their feet, paying attention, eyes front. And then straight away they start playing on tune and he notices someone's off tune. And he goes through line by line, are you out of tune? Are you out of tune? Are you out of tune? And he eventually picks on this guy and he asks him, are you out of tune? And he is panicking, he's not sure. And basically he says, no, he's, he's out of tune. He apologises. And he just kicks him straight out of the band. He walks out in tears. It's ruthless. And then he just says casually, oh, he wasn't out of tune. But what was worse, that is what he did, is that he didn't know. Yeah. Um, but just like that, he's gone. Like his, in his mind, his music career is now over because he's out of this band. That's the level of the power this man has. Yeah, and, and actually, just just a, a slight tangent on that. Did you remember that in that scene where before Fletcher comes in and they're all getting ready, uh, someone screams "Milk the cunt." Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, I thought this was so strange uh, because all of a sudden, if they're all getting ready, and this guy screams that, and they all start like they all start playing on cue, and then it like counts down to exactly nine o'clock. And that's when Fletcher uh, comes in. Like, that's one of the first, uh, actually speaking of the time, that's one of the first times we see how Fletcher's playing a bit of mind games with, with Naaman and that he tells Naaman to be on the to- on dot six o'clock in the practice room. Uh, but practice doesn't start till nine. But he told Naaman to be there for six and have to wait for three hours. So as we're already starting, that's one of the first things we see where he's like, oh, he's fucking with Naaman from the very start. Uh, but yeah, back to that thing. So apparently that what, what, what that means is that he's telling everyone to play... Uh, he's telling everyone to play the middle C for tuning purposes. Ah, okay. I, I, I did forget what you said, but yeah, when I first heard it, I was like, wait, what? We had to play it back because we were like, did he say that? Uh, and then I found there's a tweet by Miles Teller that like says, oh, this is what that means. So, yeah. I just thought it might have been from years of emotional abuse space for the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> they just say weird shit now. Yeah, they're just 
dead inside. Um, but yeah, so like this is so a bit about Miles Teller. He plays Andrew Neyman. Um Although, so one of, one of the like one of the things you notice about it is that like it's quite a physical performance as well. Like he does seem to like be hitting the drums and playing the drums. But one of the things was that. Um, Although they used, they did use a like a, a drumming double, like a visible double during it. Uh, a lot of the drumming was actually done by Miles Teller himself for the pre-recorded tracks, uh, and they reckon that about forty percent. They reckon about forty percent of the drumming used in the soundtrack is actually Miles Teller. Yeah, I've seen that. All right, and apparently he hadn't really drummed before. Like he's not from a music background. Am I right in saying that? I have heard that he played the drummers since he was 15. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it said he played the drums since he was 15. He received blisters on his hands due to the vigorous, unconventional style of jazz drumming. And that some of the blood uh, was on the... Uh, some, of his, some of his actual blood was on the drumsticks uh, and the drum set, as well as the results. So some of that wasn't actually special effects, which is a bit, a bit horrifying. Yeah, them, like them bloody hand scenes are gruesome. Yeah, aren't they... Like, you just see it, and you're just like, why are you... And this is another thing. It's just like, not only is he, like, uh, Fletcher's being put through... Not Fletcher, uh, Naaman's being put through this sort of emotional um, sort of pain and distraught. Like, physically, he is, like, breaking down. Like, his hands are deteriorating nearly with the with the pace and the sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm for? Uh, just the intensity of drumming that Fletcher expects from him. Yeah, like, he expects nothing less than 120%. He sums it up as soon as he talks to Newman, basically saying, I can't remember what drummer it was, but he only became the great he was because someone threw a cymbal at his head. And I feel like he took that on too literally. <laughs> well, so, fun story. So, um, do, you, do you remember how... Um, so, one of the things later on in the movie is that it's, it's realised that... Um, one of Fletcher's ex-students who went on to work in the Lincoln Center Orchestra or Jazz Band, which is like that top jazz band in the United States, uh, that he eventually, he came, he went through Fletcher's band, Fletcher trained him, and he went there, and Fletcher tells the story to his class and says that he died in a car crash. Uh, but we realised later on that he actually committed suicide. Uh, and it was to do with a lot of the uh, anxiety and depression he had kind of uh, had after being in Fletcher's band. So that's like the first time we see Fletcher mistell a story uh, or like kind of twist, uh, like just uh, uh, don't like not telling it properly. Uh, but another story he mistells is that symbol story uh, where apparently it's, uh, he didn't throw it at his head. He threw it on the ground, uh, which is called, which is called gonging him, which is the, which is the equivalent of the modern day, like buzzing someone off the stage, like X Factor style. Like if you just throw it on the ground, it's like your shit, get off. Um, so that happened instead but it would be so so like Fletcher's character to be like oh yeah he threw it out of his head you gotta push him you gotta push him he threw it out of his head and like it, to tell that story to to Naaman to be like oh like this is the this is the extent you need to be go at to be pushed to be the best like yeah and in fairness to Naaman he does like he does not back down at all when he's pushed harder he goes harder when he yeah I think this is really shown in so when he's basically into the band and he's told he has to earn his seat now, uh, Fletcher brings in the drummer that he was up from the other band, from the B band, let's call it, and says, oh, we, we thought we'd have a, um, a new drummer in here for a second fiddle and let's try him out today. And this is just as, as Newman was getting comeable. So just more, I mean, more just being a dick. As soon as Andrew's Newman is comfortable, 
he brings in more competition for him just to be a dick, just to push him more. Um, and he's he basically realizes that no, you're not playing my tempo. You're not playing my tempo. I'm not a jazz musician. He could be playing the tempo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They all seem to be playing completely different things, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 another weird thing. I don't know if you picked up on it. Like some of the times you'd see them hit the drums, and you'd be like, "Jeez, that's not looking. That doesn't. That doesn't look as fast as the as the noise I'm hearing." I know the technique is uh, it's very complicated, but it looked like they're just going bang, 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 bang. But you'd be like. <laughs> yeah, so he gets these basically now three drummers in. So it's the guy from the other band, the ba- Taylor's uh, Newman's backup, and T- and Newman himself. And they start, I think, at nine in the evening, and they don't finish till three in the morning. Yeah, the three of them just taking turns for ten seconds at a turn, trying to get his tempo that he has set. And eventually, Newman gets it. Now I don't know if anyone, if it's in any facts at all like that, that Newman had it right the whole time. And if he just wanted to see if he could keep it up for the whole time, or if he just couldn't get it right at the start, I'm not too sure. Maybe you know. Uh, I I I didn't see anything on it, but my interpretation of it would be, they're all getting it right, and it goes back to nearly what you what we were saying about the other guy who, who it was worse that he didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Because they're all just taking Fletcher's word that it's not like none of them ever go that is four hundred. Because they take Fletcher's word for it. But Fletcher is literally just trying to get them to the point of exhaustion. And they could probably see that. And then that's how he knows. That's how he pushes Miles to know that no matter the fiercest of conditions he's put in. If he's playing the drums for four hours straight. There's a chair thrown at him. The cymbals are being thrown away. And he can still keep up that tempo. He's going to be able to do it like every night in the jazz band. So like my interpretation is he was playing it right. And the other guys are playing it wrong. And even when we see the, 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 the guy from his old class brought in. And he does it. It sounds awful. And that, and then Miles Teller reacts to that. And he's just like, bullshit, that's not the tempo. Uh, and Fletcher's like, oh no, it is, yeah. But I don't think it is the tempo. I think it's, again, it's just Fletcher fucking with him. Like, Yeah. In fairness to Fletcher in that scene, I think if, like he shouted... In fairness to Fletcher, I am. I can't wait. Can't wait for this. <laughs> he was absolutely shouting faster at him, non-stop. And I feel like if he was behind me shouting faster, I would run faster. <laughs> I would run faster than you sing <laughs> This is how the world record will be broken by just playing yeah. him singing singing faster over the intercom. Yeah, J.K. Simmons needs to get into the coaching business more often. He just yeah, he clearly has a knack for it. And we should hire him for the Irish Olympic squad and get him. We'll, we'll be coming home with a load of gold medals. Um, actually, just to go back to one of the scenes we kind of missed, and uh, not missed, but it's probably the most iconic line in it was when uh, when Newman, not Newman, <laughs> Naaman, uh is in the band for the first time and. Uh, in the studio band and that's when Fletcher goes okay uh, Naaman try the drums we'll all slow it down but that's when we kind of and he goes oh not quite my tempo but it seems to like escalate from there yeah like he just again it's just how he manipulates people he just makes them comfortable ease them in and then it's just abuse from here on out Um, I suppose going off like going away from Fletcher slightly for a bit um, Newman's a bit of a dick Name it, yeah. Name like it, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's only funny because I'm recently thinking of Wayne Knight's Newman from Seinfeld instead <laughs> on the drums. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he, he's a, he's a, he's a victim of his own ambitions. Like, yeah, but I feel like he can still be ambitious and not be like a dick about it. <laughs> um, are, are you talking about the breakup scene? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so Naaman basically fancies this girl in the cinema. 
and goes up and asks her out and a week later they're in a serious relationship hold on hold on because she does one of the she does one of the worst things ever where he asks you he's very nervous she like he goes to the cinema all the time with his dad and she's always there that's it's alleged she's always there and he's always really awkward he's always looking at the floor and then he finally builds the courage because he's in he, he gets spotted by um Fletcher, he's in the band now, he has a bit of confidence. He goes up to this girl who's been waiting to ask her for ages and goes, hey, do you want to go out with me? And she goes, why would I go out with you? And, and then she was joking. But my God, would that your ego take a bit of a dent with that? And there's a whole awkward interaction where she's like, oh, I'm only messing and he was thinking it was serious. But I'm like, ouch, pure ouch, Melissa Benoist playing Nicole. I think that's it's, how you pronounce her name. Is that like a movie cliche to say that you go up and ask out the person on the counter or is that just Americans being confident and Irish people not being able to talk to strangers? Uh, I feel like if it was a case that people would do that, coppers would go out of business. Because <laughs> I feel like if you did ask Ireland, went up to Leisureplex and asked the woman behind the counter, do you fancy a date? She'd just tell you, she would tell you that, go away and she'd be serious. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, but just before, just before you say any more about um, Nicole and that breakup scene, do you know what she's most recently been in? I do not. She's Supergirl in the TV, the CW TV show. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was not looking at. No, well, uh, yeah. Oh no, it's really good. I would recommend. It's oh. it's very it's very cringy, like as you'd expect from those shows. But it's actually pretty decent. I like yeah. it. Um, but anyway, so it was weird because I was watching her in this, and I didn't really know who it was because it's it's weird. So she's like fourth build in this movie uh, but she gets less than about 10 minutes of screen time uh, because really I was I was looking I was doing my usual character breakdown uh, like having a list of the characters and I'm like oh my god after JK Simmons and uh, and Miles Teller there's no one really other to mention um, but that's how I, I was like oh my god I can't believe it's her but sorry I cut you off they were in um, a serious relationship after a week yeah like to see, they got together whatever um, but the thing about Naaman is he's quite an elitist as well I feel yeah so like yeah, yeah. oh assume- yeah as soon as she tells him that she's not sure what she's studying yet, she's not doing a major, she's just in college, straight away he just doesn't grasp that concept. The fact that she doesn't have her whole life planned out to be the best at something, he's clearly not impressed. It kind of reminds me a bit of like, completely different movie, completely different story of like Mark Zuckerberg in a social network, how he treats yeah, very true. his girlfriend. It reminds me a lot of that. As in it's like, oh, you're only going there, you're only a major in that. It's just a very much, like, you probably feel that way in Trinity. Yeah, well, now I was gonna say I was gonna I was gonna bring it up, but uh, I was like, no, I won't draw attention to it because then I'd have to say this, say the utter, uh, the faithful words that yes, I went to Trinity. But it it reminded me of because if for those that don't know me in real life, I I I did a I did a chemistry degree uh, in Trinity, and I don't do chemistry now. So this reminded me of the first year conversations I would have. When people are like, oh, what do you think of specialising in? And what, what, what project do you find most interesting? And then, what do you think of this fucking organic compound and put some shit? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm just, I just picked the CAO course. I'm here. Let's go. Let's see how it goes. And then I could get all, all the nerds are looking at me like, oh, oh, you don't, you don't have a, you don't have a favourite fucking compound? I don't know. I'd like to, yeah. I'd, clearly that the whole four years and that Trinity didn't stick. But you know what I mean? And that like, it, 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 I, I, I'm aware what it's like to have conversations with people that have, a very strong idea of how they're going to like progress in life and uh that's how i could relate to this scene yeah and i feel like in fairness it's great for him to have that ambition i think anybody who wants to make it has to have that drive um i saw so i more look at it kind of in a sport in terms of view that like you see anybody who wants to make it to the highest levels of athletics or ga or 
soccer or rugby, they have to have that commitment level. They, it's not a part-time thing, in fairness, but he just he's such an elitist about it. He's such a... Uh, but Only when... Only when you said sport, I realised um, myself and fellow fellow guest of uh, the podcast, David Scanlon, went to the Tommy Tiernan show once and Podrick Harrington was there. And I've now just realised after you said sports person, it's literally like the same. Like he literally talks about Ollie does his golf and he loves golf and he Ollie's thinking about his golf and how he relaxes playing golf and to the point where he has a golf course out his back garden. So, so yeah, like it's crazy. I, I now I'm imagining Podrick Harrington on the drums, but it's yeah I, it's such a sports thing as well it's like like only having your mind on because that's all that's obviously name and do, do drums cinema those two things and then as we see the drumming takes over yeah i think it, like, i think that is definitely it's definitely something the movie it's a good point from the movie is it does show how much work is needed for these exceptional musicians to be at the very best yeah like it really does highlight just how much work is put in for like like so for to, to be the best drummer in jazz, just how much commitment is needed. It's not someone who's just a bit good. That's how you get good. But to be the best, it's dipping your hands in ice cold water when they're covered in blood. It's staying up till six in the morning playing jazz music. It's that's the level of commitment, and I think that's something the movie does come across very well on. Yeah, just the just the sheer sacrifice required um to be the best um. But you also see the other side of when people don't understand that. So you see this from his when he's at dinner with his parents and oh, relatives. Oh, yeah. Um, you can see that his parents and his well, his dad and his relatives and his friends, whoever they're, um, they really don't grasp the concept of what he's trying to accomplish because they don't understand the world of jazz. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this, is, this is what I was going to say. I was like, when you were talking about all the hard work and sacrifice that goes into be the best jazz drummer in the world, I'm like, I don't even know who the best fucking jazz drummer is in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah I, yeah so it's just like i can understand from an everyday point of view like you're not gonna you're not gonna be understanding of this like when i said the lincoln center i don't even know if the lincoln center is the highest jazz band in america it could be but i would imagine not a lot of people outside of the community would know that yeah it's, it's, it's i i've heard of it but i think i've heard it because of this movie and la la land both directed by the same guy who likes jazz who likes jazz i have i have a, i have a funny idea so i so i slight tangent I know and we'll get back to it sorry which is that um, it's so strange to me that when you go from Whiplash to La La Land two very similar movies and not not similar in the same like music music based uh, and even has the same shot Owen pointed out when we were watching it where it kind of like zips from one person to the other person like during a musical performance where it's like I think it's Ryan Gosling playing piano and then it cut, whizzes real quick to Emma Stone same thing happens in this movie when um Miles Taylor's on the drums and a wizard's J.K. Simmons. Um, so it's so it's really strange that they would do Whiplash, La La Land, and then he goes to do First Man, which is all about Neil Armstrong. So my understanding and my funny take on it is I like to think that he doesn't, he's not very good with first names. So when he tried to say, hey, I want to do a movie about Louis Armstrong, he accidentally said Neil Armstrong and got signed a contract and was he like oh fuck I picked the wrong Armstrong Neil Armstrong's the space guy and he had to go off and do a, a movie set about Neil Armstrong anyway not very good but that's how I rationalise it to myself it makes the most sense <laughs> doesn't it because if I heard like, he was doing a Louis Armstrong movie I'm like yeah that makes perfect sense exactly. jazz legend Louis Armstrong he's just done two big jazz movies 
So I don't know. That's that's what I just find it. Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, jazz, <laughs> jazz. <laughs> Lincoln Center. Uh, it's all yeah. about like being the best drummer in the world. Oh, people not understanding the dinner table scene. Yeah. So effectively, he's talking about how he's now entered into this band and all the how it's good he's in this band and his family don't really care. It's basically when I talk about climbing. It's the equivalent of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's the oh, it's the equivalent of me talking about podcasting. <laughs> No, not, not to the same extent as uh, being the best dra- uh, jazz drummer, but I'm aware what it's like to talk to my parents about this and then be like, hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because it's great because in the dinner scene, it's like uh, one of them is doing like model UN and the other one's like uh, captain of some football team. And it's great because all the family are really enjoying it. And uh, just going back to the elitism you mentioned of Miles Teller's character, Naaman, where he's just like, it becomes too much when no one's paying attention. He's just like third division, third division football. And he's just like, I'm so much better. I'm at a higher level in society than you at your third division football championship or whatever. Yeah, um, but I also I also felt sorry for him there because people don't understand the level he wants to get yeah. and what it takes. I suppose I do feel sorry for him there. But yet again, it's the elitism of like, yeah, you're only third division. I'm at the best school. Uh, um, yeah, and, and that's kind of where we see and one of the other things about this movie that really hits home is that his mother his mother dies in a car crash so it's kind of just his father that raises him uh, and we kind of see those scenes of them together going to the cinema which is again I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent on this one so bear with me uh, which is that um, yeah he goes to the cinema and like I mentioned that's the only thing he does besides drumming so when you think about that his father is kind of the only thing that pulls him away from his obsession and his father kind of um, warns him about it at this dinner scene where he's just like oh well you know if you want to be the best he met uh, uh, Naaman mentions is one of the best jazz drummers or whatever and he's like the father cuts in immediately as it's like this information he's already known it's like why you want to end up drunken drunken dead or whatever at age 30 50 something or whatever because uh, he knows this fact and he kind of is aware of the trajectory Naaman is on and it's it's great in the sense of when the movie then starts to like you mentioned when he comes out when he leaves Fletcher when he gets kicked out of Fletcher's band Naaman and then he kind of goes and works in a uh, like some takeaway place and he's he's in touch with his father more often there he's coming over to watch movies in his house which I think was funny because my flatmate Sinead pointed out that the reason they're not in the cinema is probably because he wants to avoid Nicole <laughs> he doesn't want to go back to the cinema um, but the, the, one of the scenes that, 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 that hits the emotional punch the hardest I found was that during the final performance uh, when uh, Fletcher tricks anyway we'll get into it but basically something bad happens on stage and He's, uh, Naaman is embarrassed and walks off and he literally goes into the embrace of his father. His father hugs him. And this this character, his father, who just loves him regardless, gives him all the like attention he requires and that like just truly, truly loves him. It's his son. But uh, Naaman leaves that embrace, leaves that, you know, unconditional love to go back out on stage and prove himself to the abuse of Fletcher, which I just think was one of the most horrifying moments in the movie. But... Uh, we'll talk about the end scene a little bit later, but I just remember thinking, oh my God, that father is just through so much and that like, there's nothing more the dad can do. He's, he's given his son all the all the guidance, all the warnings, but he still he still goes back out there. Um, um, I, I, yeah, like it's literally a case of, and it's a sad reality probably for a lot of people. It's probably, I don't know if you're meant to say trigger warning and stuff like that. It's literally people going back to their abuser. Yeah. Um, it's people who just have manipulative control over people. You want to approve, because that's what he is. He's, an abuser like and yeah. it's completely has Andrew under control he can do what he wants with him he could tell him that no to be the best drummer you have to go sit outside butt naked in the rain and he'd do it 
Because he wants to prove slap, that he... Slap, slap your belly 400 feet. <laughs> but he would. That's the thing. Yeah. That's control he has over these kids. And they're only kids. He's only 19. Yeah. These aren't uh, adults. He's 19 uh, years old. Um, he's probably I, started school when he's 18. So, like, he's literally seen as this commanding figure that, no, if you want to be the best... Like, it's bet into him probably as soon as he entered that school. Is that if you want to be the best drummer, you have to, like, do what this man says. That's it. Yeah, it's it's awful. Uh, because, yeah, Nicole mentions a good point where she's like, I think people forget that we're still kids. Uh, I think she mentions that at some point. Uh, and then, like, yeah, you do forget they're still kids. And Fletcher doesn't see them as kids. He kind of sees them as, like, this clay that he's trying to mould into... Uh, like, he, he, he gives a speech later on in the movie where he's just like, I just want to make the best. I want to be responsible for the best of the best. Yeah, um, and I do think his intent is sound. I do think he wants to push the kids on as far as he can. I don't think he's just an evil person i do think no. he realistically he really thinks this is the way uh to like actually push people beyond their limits is by physical and mental abuse but he doesn't see it as physical and mental abuse so i'd love to know is this in his background like you obviously you get no backstory into fletcher yeah so what are the what are the scenes cut from it was him in his apartment uh but the, the director decided not to do that because literally every scene every scene in this movie has andrew in it so it kind of it, it kind of drives this in of like that you're just you're seeing everything from Andrew's point of view but my, my understanding of it I, I think he is an evil character but yes I think he's uh, ignorant uh, or just blissfully unaware of how uh, evil he is uh, but I, I, I think there's a few scenes um, one in particular I think the only one that kind of sets it up as that he is actually good uh, is that you remember there's a scene where they're at the band they're at one of the first fest uh, competitions and Fletcher's in the hallway and he's talking to this kid and he's like hey you're gonna join my band one day high five hope you're doing it. like and he's really nice to this kid and I don't know if that's putting him putting it on for the kid because it's a kid or if it's literally just he's a nice guy he, he, he this kid's not like you know trying to impress him he's just generally lovely but when he gets into the band it's all about putting on a show or like putting on a brave fate putting on the performance of you're here to impress me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To be fair, I don't think he could slap the kid and tell him to play 400. I think that'd be a <laughs> bit much. Uh, yeah, no, but like, but that's what I mean. You see, no, no, I know like, what that's, you mean. That's I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it uh, is, it is a, I think that is enough to humanise him a bit. Yeah. To base, make it look like, no, this guy does have good intent. He does just want to make the best musicians. His just methods are questionable. Yeah, and, and that was a great scene because Miles... Teller's Naaman uh, I will never stick to a name I always, but he uh, uh, Naaman sees this and you can see he has a little smile to himself and, and he comes to the same re- conclusion we think which is oh maybe he is good um, as an audience that's fine we can kind of come to that conclusion because we're not facing any of the repercussions of not being aware of that he might be evil uh, but I think Naaman when he sees that he's like oh and he looks for the he's like oh Fletcher is a nice guy he's only doing this to push me on so it's almost an excuse for Naaman to kind of seek the goodness within Fletcher and allow him to continue to abuse him. Yeah, um, and this first um, sort of performance is also where, because I wanted to ask you about this. Um, so this and first performance, yeah. yeah. No, so for people who don't, have, who don't know, so basically at this stage, Newman's still the backup drummer. He just turns the pages and the notes. That's all he does. What a shit job. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck is that about? You know what I mean? Like, imagine, imagine, get, imagine waking up putting on a suit, reading some sheet music and sitting on stage literally, not to belittle it because obviously it's a very privileged position for some people in jazz bands. I just see it as like a, could you get an iPad and get it to scroll or I don't know. I don't know. There seems to be a better way for this is all I'm saying. 
Yeah, that's definitely a better way. But anyway, um, so the big thing that J.K. Simmons' character um, always says that, no, you never lose your notes. You always have your notes in hand. Yeah. And so Newman and the lead drummer go just to get a drink of water and he gets the fountain and he hands him his notes. So he hands Newman his notes just to hold for a minute while he's getting water and Newman puts them down behind him on a bench. And as far as I can see in that scene, nobody walks by. But then they yes. turn around and the notes are gone. The notes have been yeah. robbed, they've disappeared, and by luck be have it, a bit of a movie, a movie magic, and <laughs> the main drummer does not know the notes off by heart. It's, he says it's a mental thing. He needs that. He he's a physical reader. He that's how he follows the notes. Yeah. But Newman knows that off by heart all the songs. So Newman's now made number one drummer. So was this Fletcher? Was did Fletcher do this? Was this the way of Fletcher again manipulating the best drummer to see who could remember the notes, or was this? Yeah, this it, it's a great it's a great one. It's very uh, it's weird. A lot of the a lot of the a lot of vibes of this movie um was very Birdman um which was like a, mainly part to the do with the drum soundtrack to it all. Um but another thing Birdman did in this was kind of making you kind of believe what's real and what's not or trying to understand what's real and what's not. And I think this scene is very like what do you think like it, it's very good and ask the question what do you think happened? Um I I like to think Naaman unintentionally or like subconsciously misplace them or put them in a bin i think that because like look he he directly benefited from this so i think Naaman put them in a bin by mis like i don't know i can't explain it maybe he was putting money in he just i don't know or what happened but or maybe i don't know we, we're just seeing him thinking he puts it down i don't know i think he intentionally lost them yeah i do feel like the movie did that on purpose because the movie's like it's an easy thing to say it sounds cliche but the movie's too well made to allow a mistake like that to just be a mistake and i feel like almost every scene in this movie has a point and i feel like it's such a key scene i don't think that the writer of this movie would let it just oh by pure luck so i do feel like yeah there's definitely a you think into it whatever you whatever the audience thinks happens happened yeah i don't i don't think i don't think fletcher was sneaking around the corner and like i like as much as i i'm like yeah, no, I think I think I think it was name name and lost them on purpose. That's what I think. Yeah, no, that's probably better. See, in my head, it was just is Fletcher on all four sneaking up together. <laughs> uh, oh, that, I want to see that. I, I want to see that. Uh, you know, deleted scene. <laughs> hey, the, the man is ripped in this movie. He could do an army crawl. Yeah, it's fu- so. This is um, it's funny because the, the the podcast that came out last was Justice League, and we were talking about how ripped J.K. Simmons got for that movie. Uh, so it's weird to see like when I was watching this, I was like, oh yeah, I could see how he got buffed from this. He's fuck. He's 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 jacked in this. He's throwing shit about the place. Actually, another just a thing about his health, I suppose. Uh, do you know the bit at the end where he gets tackled by? Or not? It's it's during not this one. It's the next performance where he gets tackled by Miles Teller on stage. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons cracked two ribs from that. Oh, and really? To, yeah, and he had to uh, he had to do the rest of the movie like um, what you call it with this injury. Uh, but it was only the last two days of shooting, so it was actually fine. But like, <laughs> still, yeah, like because as much as this is about an emotional abuse, it's also his physical presence in the movie is what oh, is yeah. also like when he's talking to someone, his arms purposely raised that you see his bicep. Yeah, like you literally see his muscles on him. He's intimidating he's scary he's not just emotionally loud and shouting he's physically big and strong like you could tell he would just wreck you 
Yeah, <laughs> it's the Lex Luthor effect. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, because there's that scene. Um, the first time we see him, yes, yeah, so this was this. Oh God, how have we not talked about this scene yet? Uh, we have talked about it, but we haven't mentioned the, the quote, the fa- probably the most famous quote from this movie, which is, "Are you rushing or are you dragging?" Uh, which is honestly one of the greatest scenes in that. Like, it's literally watching. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Fletcher's talking to Name and he's being real friendly. He's asking, oh, what about your parents? Gathers all this information on his parents and uses it as taunts. Being like, oh, this is why your mother ran out and you and your father's a failure and stuff. Um, but it's a scene where he's like, oh, not my tempo. And it keeps, they keep starting the band, all the band are playing and then plays a couple of notes. And then he goes, just stop there. Uh, I think you're a bit off tempo. And it gets more and more aggressive. And then this is all, Naaman has seen your man, the other guy, been thrown out for playing off key or off tune. So he's aware of what could happen. Um, and it's just it's great because uh, I'll let you tell it because I, I like I, it's, it's such a great such a great scene yeah it's painful to watch it actually hurts to watch as the audience you feel so sorry for him because you know it's like at this age you know exactly what the character of Fletcher's like yeah and you know he's being manipulated and you know he's ruthless and you know he's not going to let up you know there's never going to be a stage of okay never mind try tomorrow it is yeah, going to be absolutely no you're going to keep doing this until you get it or you will be out of this band. And even, you're not too sure if he does get it, if he'll even let him stop. He might just tell him to go again. You don't know. You can't tell. This is day one of band. Yeah. He it just pushes him on. Not my tempo. He gets more and more aggressive. Like you said, he found out in the hallway while being quite nice that his mother died. And now all of a sudden he's shouting at him in front of everybody in the whole yeah. band of, this is why your mother left you. This is why your dad's a failure. Boo hoo, pity about you. Are you going to cry my drums? It's just relentless. And it was great. One of the bits before that where, where Fletcher goes like, uh, he goes, oh, do you, you, do you feel, you, you've, you've earned this. You, you, like, do you feel like you've earned this and that you deserve to be here? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, say it. Say that. And he makes him say that out loud and makes Naaman think that he's received the best opportunity possible only for Fletcher to just harass him later on. And there's a whole scene, it's like, you're rushing, you're, are you rushing, are you dragging? And then Fletcher, uh, Naaman says he doesn't know. And he gets him to like, okay, well, like, are you rushing or dragging? And he doesn't know. And then it gets to the point where um, Fletcher gets him to count down from four or up to four and smacks him in the face just before the count to four. And he goes, are you rushing or dragging? And then makes him realise through physical abuse that he is rushing and it's just like it's it's just horrendous and and the reason why i brought it up as a, another physical aspect of the movie was that um during during the shooting of the scene um they did several takes where simmons only mimes mimes the slap but for the final take they were going to do uh simmons and teller decided to film the scene for real with a genuine slap and that's the one that makes it into the movie yeah like in fact fe- i know i don't think teller got nominated um no, it was a this. tough year, really tough year. Yeah, it was a tough year, but he is excellent in this movie. In fairness to him, but it's he doesn't he does get overshadowed by J.K. Oh, Simmons. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I think J.K. Simmons' portrayal of this character will go down as one of the greatest ever. Far believable and how scary it is. Absolutely, it is absolutely. generally down there as one of the, like we've more we've actually mostly talked about J.K. Simmons in this podcast up to now, even probably about the movie itself because he just every scene he's in he steals. It's because the movie is about, you know, the obsession for drumming and how Fletcher is the validation for that. So, of course, Fletcher is just like the key. It's, yeah. It's, oh, anyway, it's so good. <laughs> um, anyway, so talking a bit more about a few scenes in the movie, kind of moving yeah. on a bit. We've seen him. He's now gone through his first show. He's got, he lost the notes accidentally and purposely. He's now the number one drummer. He's gone to 
this is now basically the next competition they're going to. He's basically comfortably number one drummer now. And because this is after this is after the whole like five hour session to yeah. prove who can do it. Yeah, so he's now completely proved himself. He is cemented as the number one drummer in the band. And this is where he this is a fault of his own, where he basically ends up going to be late to this performance. Yeah. And this is not manipulation, this is actually his own fault. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to feel sorry for him here. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but it's not. It, yes, it, you don't feel sorry for him being late, but you just feel bad for him to the extent of panic and stress that goes through him to get there on time because he knows what's going to happen. Yeah, oh, completely. You know what's going to happen. And I've actually kind of reminded me um, of when I actually got my first job when I was working in Pfizer. Um, on my first day, I had to be in work at 7 o'clock. Oh, casual. Oh, working casual at Pfizer. Laser. Oh, working at Pfizer. Are you, Jay? The <laughs> trinity of pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> um, when I was working there, I had to start at 7 in the morning. And I remember my... And it was in Selbridge, which is maybe a 20-minute drive for me. My alarm went off at 20 to 7. <laughs> I slept through the first one the second one went off 20 to 7 it's a good 20 minute 25 minute drive from where I was living Sorry, and why, did I, you have an, why did you have an alarm set for 20 to 7 if you were starting at 7 I said it wrong but I do oh. literally remember that panic the pure panic driving down the road I remember I literally nearly skidded it was literally like Jeez. nearly the scene in that movie of just pure panic <laughs> driving I need to be here in time which I did yeah we well, um, did <laughs> But no, I like I actually did like I completely related to that scene of where the pure panic, the pure running out the door, if you're just sprinting down, ending up in a car crash. Yeah, uh, which is which is quite like it's it's quite poetic for a few reasons. One, uh, his mother died in a car crash, so it's like not even not even what killed his mother will deter him from stopping pursuing like the, the the drumming career as in like he's been in a car crash which killed his mother but yet he will still get up from the car crash and sprint to the to the concert hall to play the drums um and even and like i don't know if you noticed did you know like miles teller has like a lot of scars on his face they're not too obvious but you can kind of tell they're there uh, but that's actually from the fact that he was actually in a car crash when he was younger um oh. so like i can imagine for miles teller that was a Quite an emotional scene as well. And to top it all off, Damien Chazelle, the actual director, was in a car crash during the production of this film. So he was driving the he was driving the truck. He drove the truck. (laughs) Yeah, no, he actually he he took he took a fancy of being a stunt driver for a day. Um, But yeah, it's just like there's so many layers to that scene, uh, both from a movie point of view, but also from a you know behind the scenes stuff, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, but then, oh, it is brutal. Clearly, once he gets there, back after the car crash, so he's rushing so much, he ends up in a car crash. He, his bus is, breaks down that's as well. Um, that's why he's going to be late. So the basically bus breaks down. He's not going to make the show in time. He rents a car just to drive as far as he can. He then leaves his notes behind at the car rental place. He has to drive back for his notes. And then on his way back a second time, he's in, that's when he gets in a car crash. His car flips over, completely overturned. And he just crawls out of the wreck, keeps on running, get arrives there covered in blood, but is still determined, no, he's going on stage, that's it. The band's yeah. already on stage, so he just walks on and kicks the drummer off. He basically tells him to leave. At this, yeah. at Fletcher has no control over this, because he can't go mad at him, he's in front of an audience. Yeah. But at this stage, clearly, adrenaline wears off. The pain starts to come in, he, he drops his sticks when he tries to play a note, because his hand's covered in blood and probably broken. It's yeah. absolutely brutal, but he doesn't want to give up. 
and then he just puts his head down to the drums and you can just see the lights also go down and you can just yeah. tell that's his spirits dropping. That's yeah. when he knows it's done for him. And that's when he attacks him. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's where uh, Miles Teller sprints at, uh, at J.K. Simmons in real life and cracks two of his ribs. Um, yeah, so obviously he's then suspended from school or expelled, probably expelled. Yeah, so I've a, I, I've a thing about this. I think I think the, the guys I live with mentioned this, which was um, so what comes out then is that, um, like I'd said about the whole thing, Sean Casey, the ex the ex student, had committed suicide. So there was a lawsuit where the family wanted someone else to come forward so that Fletcher could get fired. And um, it's so it all comes out, and Fletcher is eventually removed from the school from Schaefer, which makes me think: How come then? Which was the point the guys made, which is how come then Miles Teller didn't get to go back? How, like if he was fired, if he was expelled for attacking J.K. Simmons, could it not be you know related that oh maybe the maybe J.K. Simmons' character Fletcher did something to Andrew Naiman? We should give him a call and tell him it's okay to come back. Yeah, I imagine no matter what the teacher does, you're still not allowed to rugby tackle him in front of an audience. <laughs> uh, oh, but like if he's throwing chairs at you and he's banging a cowbell really close to you during a five-hour practice, I feel like this. I feel like there's justification for that. Yeah, maybe. Um, let's let's find out. Yeah, yeah. So basically, he gets the family comes comes to name in with a lawyer and is like, "Look, we know what's happening here. The same happened to our son, but we want to, we can't prove it." It's very reminiscent of the speak out moment now that once as one abuser comes forward others will come yeah that's the hope like it's quite a reflection of like what's happening now with so many people yeah. being caught in hollywood which is which is another thing i just want to briefly touch on which is that like this was 2014 as well so this was before kind of the me too movement really uh picked up which is just, it's and it's something that's kind of covered in birdman as well but it's just like it's 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 strange that i feel like hollywood always kind of was so aware of this issue and was able to kind of tell it in certain ways but it was never really a never nothing was really done about it until a couple of years later yeah definitely like like this is literally um not a metaphor like it literally is a type of me too movement where this is like this family knows their son committed suicide because of this man but if yeah. they just say this no one will believe them it'll just be buried but if all of a sudden two or three survivors are coming forward then they can actually do something yeah and originally Naaman's like no i'm not going there because it's probably half of I don't want to cause an issue and he's probably also scared or facing his abuser because yeah. yeah like anybody like he doesn't want to go back to that he just wants it to be done and um, he's done it he hasn't played drum in months as far as we can tell we don't know how exactly how much time has passed but it seems like months yeah time in this movie is a bit weird because they always kind of they'll mention oh we've been dating for a month or like oh it's like been months since your first audition and yeah it's, it, time's a bit weird in this the only time card we get is summer uh, I don't know if you saw that where it goes summer and I'm like what season was the last time we saw these guys but yeah you're right he packs up the drums there's no plasters on his fingers anymore so you can tell he hasn't been at it for a while yeah so he's completely given up the drums he's decided no he, but he doesn't really pick up anything else so I feel like the void is still there yeah it's not like you suddenly see him hanging out with friends going on new dates and he calls <laughs> his ex <laughs> yeah well, no, that's when that's when that's after he speaks to Jake. oh Simmons. yeah yeah um, Cause, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't really pick up anything new to fill the void of drums. So I do, f- like, you always get this sense of it's missing. Yeah. Like, he takes down all his posters, and I do feel like someone like him was always going to go back to it. Mm. But by pure chance, he just happens to see that um, Fletcher is playing in a jazz club, and he decides to go and have a look. And this is after he's been fired. Um, obviously, Newman's a 
Naaman's been aware that he's made fire but never talks about it. Yeah. So he goes in just to have a look at Naaman at Fletcher playing the piano. And he does almost look at him as in happy to see him. And I just think it's again yeah. it's that sick psychological issue he has of wanting approval again. He still looks up to him after yeah. all these years of abuse. He still does see him as this idol king, this god type person. And Naaman notices him in the crowd, goes over, talks to him, they sit down, have a drink. And name and Fletcher seems very genuine now. Which again is so manipulative because you know what's coming. Yeah. And I have like there's so many things with this scene where you can just see the manipulation coming from from the off, which is that like uh, J.K. Simmons Fletcher has a has an opening slot at this big Carnegie Hall uh, jazz festival week or something. Yeah, so he gets them basically to agree to sign up and come play in this band with him again. And he emphasizes them that like hey, that's not a big deal, but then he also says, I think it's before the performance or does that they never forget a face. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so he really just highlights that the importance of this display, of this show at the end, and it's a massive... Th- like, in, basically, Naaman's convinced to go back with him. His dad disapproves, gets mad at him, tells him, no, you shouldn't do it. And he completely reverts. He calls his ex, tells her to go. So he is literally reverting back in time. He is completely going back to himself. He's going back to type. He's going back to his abuser. It's quite tragic, like. Yeah, and uh, so it's great because he invites his dad to the to the performance and he invites Nicole and Nicole's like, oh, I'll have to check my boyfriend. Uh, but another interesting thing I, I thought with that phone call was he has that conversation with Fletcher. This is how I knew it was after the phone call with Fletcher. Has it with Fletcher. We, have not, we haven't seen him decide. We haven't heard him say he's going to do it or not yet. But he picks up the phone with, uh, with, uh, with Nicole and asks her that, to come to it. So that's how we kind of know he's going to do it. But there was a nice subtle detail that you could see his fingers had all plasters on it. So you know that he was like, right, I'm going to practice. And then he, he knew he was as good as he used to be. And he goes, right, now I'm going to let Nicole know. And he becomes overly confident in himself. He goes, yeah, I'm class. I forgot how class I was. I'm going to ring Nicole. I'm going to tell my dad to come. And he, and he, and he feels like this is, is going to be his big crowning achievement because he never got that before. Yeah, so the movie concludes now in this performance. And it is the best closing scene you can yeah. imagine for the movie. It is just perfect. Um, it hits every beat that the movie's been hitting at the whole long in terms of manipulation, in terms of uh, name and overcoming the obstacles to prove his abuser wrong. Everything is just so perfect in it. And his dad's now there to witness him do this because I think this might be actually his dad's first performance he's gone to. Because you can see, yes. this, you can see his shock in the audience at how good Naaman is. But what happens at the start of the performance is that they all do introduce, they come on stage, he takes a seat at the drums. And then, just as he sits down and gets comfortable, oh no, sorry, just as he's walking out on stage to this massive crowd, Fletcher says to him, I know it was you. I know yeah. you did what you did. I know you got me fired. And then you just know straight away, okay, this is going to be bad. This is going to be rough. This is something bad's coming. And what he does is, he is not given, he has not basically given name and the right information. He tells him it's going to be all the songs he knows from the band he used to be in. It's going to be nothing different. He knows all the songs and it's the, not. The, the songs that he's already proven himself to Fletcher with. So like he knows that like, oh, I'm going to, because I bet you if, if, if Fletcher had said like, oh, it's going to be other songs, 
Naaman would be like, oh, I'm not sure, I'd need to practice that. But because it's two songs that Naaman in the past has aced and he knows, he's overly confident. He's like, I know these songs, I'm going to blow people away. Um, yeah, so I, to, to find out that that's not going to be those songs, it's just... And not terrible. only that, it's not these songs. He doesn't even have the sheet music for it. He has no idea of what this these songs are going to be. It's with a completely new band in front of... And Fletcher tells him before the performance that, just let you know, the biggest of the biggest stars of jazz are here the biggest jazz critics are here they do not forget a face you're louis armstrong's you're i don't know any of the jazz people <laughs> you're ryan gosling from la 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 he's there he's in the crowd <laughs> unless somebody can tell me he's not i'm gonna say he's there and, that's all. <laughs> and this is how these movies are linked yes exactly yeah it's a cinematic universe <laughs> Right, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. See, that was my other. That was. I was going to mention that later on, where I wouldn't be surprised if <laughs> Damien Chazelle keeps fucking up the first name. So he signs a Lance Armstrong uh, movie. He does a Stretch Armstrong movie. <laughs> he just keeps getting it wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to this final performance. So uh, we expect. Uh, so uh, the, the 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 music sheets. Evans like uh, uh, Fletcher's like. Okay, we're playing Upswinging or something, and and it's just it's horrible to watch because it's a big concert everyone's there his dad is there his, his ex-girlfriend is there and he is just he, he doesn't he doesn't know he can't he can't wing it he's trying to wing it he just can't he doesn't know the song and it's horrible to watch you're so embarrassed for him it's just it's i can't describe the cringe levels of it it's just horrifying yeah you're literally watching a slow death on stage yeah. it is just horrific um and then this is when the, the lights go down slightly, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because you think... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you think, okay, he's going to get up and walk off. And you're like, aye, this is going to be it. Like, it's Fletcher's won. This is how Fletcher has won the ultimate battle over Naaman. He's like, no, you you crossed me. Now you're struck off from jazz in New York, effectively. Yeah, yeah, because he was just like, they never forget a face. They've seen yeah. your shit. You're never going to be able to redeem yourself. Yeah, this is how the abuser wins finally over his abusee. This is his ultimate play. Like, he's he has him in his pocket. Now he's going to destroy his career for good. But no. So Naaman decides to not just walk off stage. He goes, oh, well, he does walk off stage, hugs his dad. Yeah, his dad, his dad, when his dad sees this happens, his dad, like, knows how Naaman's going to be feeling and rushes backstage, hugs his son, and this is the point where I mentioned earlier that Naaman then decides, no, walks back out. Yeah, he walks back out stage, takes his seat. Fletcher's surprised. He says, Naaman, what are you doing? Like, he is surprised he walks out there. Yeah. And then he starts the song himself by just playing a few random notes. Yeah. And tells the person beside him, says, just follow my lead. I'll cue you in. Yeah. And starts playing a song that they all know. I can't remember the name, but it's not worth that shit. Caravan. I've been ja- I've been ja- I've been love <laughs> that and Whiplash. I've been jamming to those two songs too. Actually, it's a great. <laughs> so it tells him to cue him in, and then all of a sudden, he once he cues him in, the whole band starts playing Caravan because they have no choice because in front of an audience yeah. they can't they can't they don't know they can't just stop playing to this audience. So yeah, and um, Fletcher goes because along for them. With it. It's a big moment as well. Like it's their time to shine as well. Yeah, so it's also a big moment for Fletcher. So Fletcher has to go along with it as well, as if this is what yeah. was planned. And he tells him what he's doing, he tells him to stop. And then all of a sudden, the tie just slightly turns. The You can see that he's playing it very well. The groove starts, they both become in sync. And 
name and de- name and then starts pulling out these amazing drum solos at the end, and then just keeps playing and keeps playing, and then the song ends. Eventually, like so, eventually he cues the band back in. The, the curtains come down. I might remember this wrong. Correct me if I am. And then the lights go out. Yeah, pretty much. But but kind of between all that, what's happening is so so just to um, mention that the the drum performance goes on for nine minutes straight. There is no dialogue. It is all the drums, uh, and the, the solo lasts about five minutes. Uh, but what we can see, I think, what's really interesting during this is that Fletcher is very pissed off at Naaman for doing this up showing him potentially embarrassing him and he's getting real frustrated but then as he's realising that Naaman is like like nailing the song he goes right let's get into it and gets the band gets really enthusiastic and then during the drum solo he goes over to Naaman and is like come on you can do this and like put edges of them on and goes like yeah you're doing it guides him tell him to slow down when he needs to slow down go faster there's a bit where a cymbal gets knocked over and he puts it back up and we can see that Fletcher has finally like to name and has acknowledged his skill has acknowledged that he is the best drummer i don't know in the world but like at this song and it's it's this moment where it's so it's so you it's this is where we can talk about the ending and how it's fantastic in a way that it is so euphoric from a musical point of view that it literally builds and builds and builds and then it builds and we see Naaman's getting recognition that all the audience knows and you feel so happy and then it cuts out the movie goes black uh, as soon as the song ends the movie goes black and there's no follow-up scene at all. Yeah, it just ends. It ends on this. You're so happy. And I think it is. The, that's why it is a perfect ending. Like, mm. you don't need another scene. This is what he wants. It. He's, you know, his face is known. You know, the critics don't forget a face. You know, he's just done the best performance on stage. You know, he's made it now. You know, his life will now be what he wants. Or you at least you'd like to think his life will be what he wants after this. But again, I think just finally, last bit of Fletcher in this last scene is that I think this also just goes to show that what he wanted was genuine. He did not want to abuse people. He did want to bring people to their best. And he could see yeah. how happy it was that he brought Naaman to his best. He, yeah. he sees him now as a finished product. So you can generally see how happy Fletcher is at this. He's not spiteful mm. that he's now being overlooked. He's now so happy that he's got this drummer to the very best of his potential. I feel. Yeah, well, I, I kind of view it as... This is why I mentioned that it feels so euphoric, but I think is so um, haunting, I think, in the way. I, I have a better word for it. I can't think of it. But it's just like evil one in this movie with a happy ending, if that makes sense. Because now Fletcher has gotten what he wants. He's gotten Naaman to the point where he can now... Like, what's going to happen now is how I take from the movie is that Naaman is going to keep playing with Fletcher and the t- and he's going to go back to his abusive ways because it will never be enough. This is just the jazz festival. Then they need to do Lincoln Center. Then they, like, he, it, like, it'll be this thing where Naaman is just going to burn out uh, because uh, that's how I took it as. Because the movie, a happy ending for the movie would be for the Fletcher to get his comeuppance. But Fletcher doesn't get his comeuppance. He gets exactly what he wants. And it's just like, it's happy in the sense that you get to see Fletcher do great. You get to see the audience, see how great Fletcher is. Um, not Fletcher, sorry, Naaman. Naaman is how great he is and how the audience approves of him. And he finally gets Fletcher's app- app- approval. But is that is that good for the character? We've seen that it's not. So is it a happy ending? Yeah, I think it's not really. Because I, I suppose like no. it's literally... The abuser He's has gone won. back to his abuser, yeah. Yeah, and the abuser has also been justified in his ways. Yeah, and it's 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 something it's something the um the guys own and Sinead were quite confused on. They were like, "I why does it 
is it trying to tell me it's a happy ending? But I think that's what it feel. It should feel like. But when you really think about it, evil one. It, 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 Fletcher shouldn't have come out as the good guy in this, but he did. It's uh, it's it's a fucking it's a great ending. It's it's fantastic. I uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just it's just an ending that will stick with you. Like when the movie ends, I because I just I again I said at the start, I forgot how gripping the whole movie is from start to finish, yeah. and especially that end. You cannot believe yeah. that it's a nine minute music piece at the end yeah. that finishes the movie. Like there's no so there's no dialogue for the last nine minutes. It's just music. And it does not feel like that. Uh, yeah, and I have, I have some, I have some stuff on what some of the actors thought about the ending, which I thought was kind of interesting. So when when he was asked about the film's ending, J.K. Simmons claimed that he and the writer director Damien Chazelle wanted to inspire discussion and debate, and not decide: Are we happy for Naaman or are we lamenting his loss of humanity? The debate. Uh, he loves is how far is too far how much is too much is it worth it the kind of relentless abuse might be necessary and appropriate if you're trading for the navy seals but i don't uh, but he doesn't know how appropriate it is in a music school uh but it's there it can be productive there's no denying it but from his own perspective he'd rather have a pretty (laughs) he said he'd rather have a pretty girlfriend to go and then go work with it with this guy and have my hands bleed all the time Uh, i would have made the different choice so that's what jk simmons says about it um Damien Chazelle mentioned in an interview with Screen Crush that he stated that the ending implied Angie's future would be like Charlie Parker, where he would rather die drunk and broke at the age of 34. This was mentioned earlier during that dinner scene, but Chazelle also mentioned that he deliberately ended the film without any scene between Fletcher and Andrew after the performance, as he believes the competitive relationship to be unresolved. Yeah, I don't think that relationship can ever be resolved. I think it will always be a seeking approval and dismissal. Like the only way it would have worked is if if Naaman never went back, but he does, and yeah, yeah, it's fucking, it's great. Like I, I, I don't know. I like I, 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 we don't play music. I don't know. Do you play music? You don't play music, do you? Oh, yeah. you play? Do you? No, 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 no. Uh, like I, but like I don't know what it's like to get that like rush of playing in front of an audience and stuff like that. But like, so I imagine other people can maybe relate to this a lot stronger than perhaps we can. But like, I still think it it, it does a great job of sucking you into the world and realizing how important it is to to do your best and the sacrifice that's required and yeah it's fucking it's a great movie yeah it just shows i think the most perfect way two things um, we'll end it up here soon enough as well to say i say it just shows really how abusive relationships can work how that people always wonder why do people go back to their abuser i think this movie shows why seek approval that's really what it builds on and shows that so well but it also shows the levels of commitment required to be the best at a certain thing Mm. and I think it really highlights just how much work goes into professional musicians professional sportsmen which is probably underappreciated when you see it so much on TV now when you just see someone drop win an Emmy and you're like oh I worked so hard for my life and in your head you're like no you didn't but you really (laughs) do realise yeah "Yeah, you did this is the shit you probably have to deal with and the same with sports people when they cry lifting up a world cup trophy and you're like i just play football for your life i was like no this was countless hours in the gym as a child going through coaches going through constant so it really does highlight that i feel yeah and like i've said over and over again a must watch in my opinion and one of the best movies ever made yeah definitely i'm actually so glad i got to rewatch it um so i really do i'm really glad i came on this just to have an excuse to watch it again yeah absolutely uh, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you picked it. Uh, and I, and I, you know what? I think I'll, I think I'll end with uh, with a, with a, with a, with something J.K. Simmons mentioned in the movie, which is uh, 
which is uh, two of the worst words anyone can hear. Um, so I will say them to you, Mark. Mark, you did a good job. <laughs> I appreciate it. Are you, <laughs> are you my abuser? Yes, yes I am. <laughs> Why have I, Why do you think I've been throwing also, drum sets and chairs at you for so long? Also, I went through this whole podcast talking about how abusees go back to their abuser and did not mention how you continue to support Spurs. Uh, I knew there was a Spurs <laughs> thing coming. I was just like, I'm surprised he's. I'm surprised he hasn't come up yet. But look, the emotional torment that Tottenham Hotspurs gives me. Uh, you know, I'm just. I'm not so much looking for their approval. I'm just looking for um, them to win a fucking match. So, <laughs> not the same. But yeah, Mark, great job. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on uh, and chatting about this. It's really good. I enjoyed it as always. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to hopefully coming back sometime. Ah, you will. I, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We should... Uh, what's a, what's a, what's, I, I need something where I have some ammunition to uh, insult Arsenal, so I'll think of something. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Mark, again, thanks a mil. Thanks to anyone who's, uh, who's listened to this one or any of the other ones. Uh, if you want to know when new ones are coming out, you can follow on spotify you can just you can subscribe on apple podcast i put up posts on instagram without reeling in the peers um so again very much appreciate it thanks again and goodbye